welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Good morning to everyone. Um, What a wonderful time we've had thus far. I'm thankful this has been a very, very, very full week for me, my family, and my team. It has been a beautiful, glorious week celebrating so many things. And one of the things that we celebrated this week um, is, hold on, let me, this awkward, but you know, I need to minister to my lips right now. We don't want no chapology in your face, so nothing worse than a lips cracking up and bleeding during preaching. Amen. But um, <laughs> this has been a wonderful week, a wonderful, wonderful week. I just, I literally can't um, thank the thousands of people enough who have sent. I mean, so many, so many, so many, so many uh, uh, pictures to me and my team uh, for Urban Apologetics, uh, restoring black dignity with the gospel. I mean, it, 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 I'm, I've, this is my fifth book, and you know, I always receive kind of, um, you, you know, pictures always in stories on Instagram and different things, but this was something different. Um, it felt like Wakandaville incarnate, and I'm really thankful and honored, and really, the, the, the really it's not just about merely the numbers or whatever, it's really, that's the numbers are important as it relates to people's lives being changed and so I I would love to see uh, this be a culture shifting moment um, as a tool for churches all the way from rural areas to suburban areas to uh, cities that are to islands uh, to remote areas that are people that are being impacted by this resource and people who are far away from the peaceful shore grabbing it and being rocked by Jesus Christ being rocked by the gospel and being rocked by the fact that Jesus can restore every part of you that's what this book is about he's it's about Jesus restoring how many of you know Jesus can and will restore every single part of you Um, he doesn't just care about your soul he cares about your body amen that's what the Bible says therefore glorify God in your body and so we thank God for the reality of the fact that we can give our bodies a living sacrifice if he didn't care about our bodies he wouldn't have said sacrifice them for his namesake so again thank everyone for the support um, keep them coming it's very very encouraging um, we love the we love the spirit of encouragement to overwhelm us in so many ways in a um, negative time secondly um, members of Epiphany Fellowship I want you to join me this Tuesday. Um, our team will be sending out a Zoom link for you today, today or tomorrow. Basically, a Zoom link because we have a huge and massive update about um, the facility that we were trying to buy that you do not want to me. You don't want to miss this one. And so, uh, come on and tune in and let's spend some time together talking about what God is up to in the future of this ministry and what he's called us to do to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. Amen. Well, those things being said, uh, let's, if you will, 
turn with me to Haggai, the second chapter. Haggai, the second chapter. We will spend a ton of time in chapter one, but uh, chapter two will be our base for this. Haggai, the second chapter, verses one through nine. It reads like this. On the tw uh, 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, speak to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, to the high priest Joshua, son of Jehal the Zadok, and to the remnant of the people. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look now? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem to you like nothing in comparison? Even so, be strong, Zerubbabel. Um, uh, this is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, a son of Jehozadak, uh, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. Work, for I am with you. The declaration of the Lord of armies. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. For the Lord of armies says this once more in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. The silver is silver and gold belong to me this is the declaration of the lord of armies the final glory of this house will be greater than the first says the lord of armies i will provide peace in this place um tagging this text that we have today i want to talk to you briefly from the subject matter of overcoming the stronghold of personal preferences overcoming the stronghold of personal preferences father god it is yours the earth and everything that's in it is yours and lord god you have expectations and even demands on our life and so most high i am praying that your people uh, who are listening to me through the airwaves and those who are present in this room and myself included that we will find ourselves in you and that we will find the things that are closest to your heart close to our heart that our hearts may be knit to your heart let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight oh god our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust in jesus mighty name we pray everybody agree with that said amen overcoming the stronghold of personal preferences what is a preference someone would ask a preference is a list of written and unwritten ideals and desires that can be negotiable, right? But many times non-negotiable when making a choice about a person, place, thing, or idea. And, and again, a preference is a list of unwritten and written ideals. Every one of us has personal preferences if, if, if you're here and, and and you tell me you don't have personal preferences uh, um everybody has them kids have personal preferences judge you go to the restaurant and see don't they have some personal preferences 
You know, my kids' personal preference is chicken nuggets and fries. I mean, they're going to turn into a nugget. You understand? I mean, that's all they eat. Chicken nuggets and fries. My, my middle son, uh, Nehemiah, all he wants is cheddar bacon fries. Fries that are crispy with a bunch of cheese and crispy bacon on it. If you want to see him go into heavenly bliss, put that in front of him. Fresh. Uh, everybody, and you put, but you, you know, I try to give him some chicken salad. He look at me like I'm absolutely crazy uh, because he has personal preferences. I don't like mushrooms. I got personal preferences. I used to not like hummus. Now I like hummus. It has to be on a certain level, but because I'm on this certain eating thing, I can't eat hummus now. But one day again, I'll be able to eat it. But I have personal. Everybody has personal preferences. Um, things that some of you may have personal preferences about. Where you live. Now you'll say, I can't live there. Well, if you're near homeless, you'll live where you got to live. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Uh, where you go to school, personal preferences. Who they date and or marry. Uh-oh. I'm going to come back to that later. But we definitely got all kinds of personal preferences when it comes to who we marry. My Lord. Anyway. <laughs> Sugar or salt on grits? I mean, you know that's been a big thing. You know, you know that's, we, got, we got preferences, you know. Uh, what people uh, want in church? You know we got preferences about that. What I need in a church, what I want in a church, what I got to have in a church, you know, preferences. Uh, what job you take? And what business partners you choose. But lastly, in the realm of commands of God, many of us view the commands of God as preference versus non-negotiables. So let's take this deeper. Let's take this deeper. Many of us view what God says as preferential versus central. Uh, many of us view love as optional. You know, all of us petty machetes in the building. And in the way, when we want to be petty, we withhold love from people. Even though the Bible says, love your enemies. That's them, that's them ghost verses. They kind of got lost somewhere in the kingdom matrix. You know, that, that, them joints right there, love your enemies. You know, we love the, we love the fire back. You know, I'm going to tell you a piece of my mind. That ain't, that's preference. That ain't in the book. You, you supposed to love the people that chew you out and act a fool towards you. That's tough. But if it was up to me, I would tell them everything in the street dialogue that's unredeemable in the name of Jesus. Because see, some of us want to cuss people out in the name of Jesus. Anyway, many of us think forgiveness is a preference. We think forgiveness is a preference. Some of us now don't get mad at the pastor. But y'all know I'm telling the truth. Many of us think sexual purity is a preference. Many of, many of us think that that's a preference and that the gospel is the constant get out of conviction and jail free card from you really dealing with some of the central issues in your life. Many of us think dating and marrying people that don't value the heart of God is okay. Just as, see, we think, see, in, in our world, happiness is the greatest preference. So you do what makes you happy, but usually what makes you happy always exposes your values. Because when you're married to the heart of God, happiness is defined by the kingdom, not me. 
anyway. Uh, 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 and, and you know, you know, you know, some of us have a preference. We will just date and marry un- if they are type. We're going to talk about that later. You know, that type thing. I'll, what is your type? We'll talk about that. Is that a king? So strongholds. Why is this a stronghold? Well, let me just say this. Having a preference before I define this is not a stronghold itself. Hear me. It's very important teaching. Having a preference in and of itself is nothing wrong with liking Roses over daffodils. It's nothing wrong with liking a certain body type on a person's body to be able to marry them and enjoy them. It's nothing, nothing wrong with having preferences. It's, it's, it's nothing wrong with preferring a certain ethnic person to marry. It's nothing wrong with having a certain preference of clothing style. It's nothing wrong with having a certain preference even in church or different things. But when our preferences trump God's biblical principles, that's where the challenge comes. And so our job today is for you and I to work through <clears throat> Are my preferences married to God's biblical principles or uh, am, am I asking God to make his biblical principles orbit my personal preferences? So, strongholds. What's a stronghold? <laughs> you should have this memorized, my dear. It's a mindset, value system, or thought process that hinders your growth. So what is a personal preference stronghold? A personal preference stronghold is a mindset thought process, <laughs> way of thinking that is drawn more to personal desires than God's biblical principles. Very simply, very simply, what does this look like? Couples going on a cruise together that wasn't married and told me they wouldn't do anything. That's a personal preference. Now, you may be strong enough to do that, but that's you. Moving for money and not thinking about community and spiritual life. Dating someone who is your spiritual type and not, who's your physical type and not your spiritual type. Okay? So, so those are some examples. Okay? Reason why I'm harping on them, them couple of applications, because those are the biggies in our life that we got mad preferential dispositions on because of some things that's happening in our culture. First point of two. First point of two. If you are going to overcome stronghold of personal preference, number one, you have to have a God-shaped worldview. You have to have having a God-shaped view on matters or know that having a God, God-shaped worldview matters. You got to know that having a God-shaped worldview matters. Somebody say God-shaped. That's very important. A God-shaped worldview matters. Um, Haggai, the book of Haggai is written during the second temple period. Um, right before the 400 years of silence after the book of Malachi. In this second temple period, this is when um, the Babylonian and Persian captivity was complete and God blessed uh, the children of Israel by remnant to return through three waves. You had uh, the Zerubbabel wave, the Ezra wave, and the Nehemiah wave going back to Jerusalem to reestablish Israel in God's uh, 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 kingdom land in order to reestablish them as a light to the nation for his glory to draw people back to him based on them submitting to God's biblical principles. 
And so as we're hearing during this time, Haggai and Zechariah were heftily prophesying during this time in the book of Haggai. And now what has happened here is there's been about 11 years or so, um, different, different views on how many years after the 77 year captivity that there were, they were back in the land and they started building, rebuilding the temple and prioritizing becoming a light again. But something happened to them. They began to enjoy life on steroids. In other words, they began to like what they were experiencing. Look at uh, chapter one uh, around the second, uh, 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 the the first and second verse. It says, the Lona army says this. These people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to live in paneled houses while the house of the Lord lies in ruins? Now, the Lord of Armies says this. Think carefully about your ways. This is so important. Now, why in the world would building the temple be so important? This is a, a, a very hefty deal here. When we look at and understanding the place of the temple, uh, really not just in Israel, but in uh, from Genesis to Revelation, one of the uh, one of the uh, 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 most powerful thematics uh, uh, is the temple theme, because the temple theme uh, in the Bible is a massive theme about how God resides with people. The temple, whatever form that it is in, comes in a multiplicity of forms. We'll talk about later, um, um, but but it comes in a form in order for heaven and earth. A, a temple is where heaven and earth are merged and, cr and there's a cross section, if you will. That cross section, like we talked about in the spiritual warfare series, is Eden. Eden was the first temple. We'll come back to that. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people think Eden, the garden, was the only location, but you got to understand that Eden was a place and the garden of Eden was in Eden. The Garden of Eden wasn't Eden. Therefore, within the larger Garden of Eden, there was a temple called the Garden was a temple where stuff grows, where stuff flourishes, where you have to make choices, but also where you meet with the presence of God and experience God's presence and know his presence and know his love and find confidence and find spiritual rootedness and find spiritual depth where you find community. The temple is a very, very important place. That's why they were naked in the garden. They were naked in the garden because because they didn't need clothes because God's glory was their clothes. That's why when they fell, the first thing they looked for was clothes because when they sinned, the glory of God left them and they were left empty, knowing, trying to pull together things and put together things that were dying already. As soon as they pulled it off the vine, it started dying. Every time you leave God's presence and God's temple and God's opportunity, everything you put on yourself, once you put it on, is starting to die. starting to die and so we don't understand who we are you don't know who you are I like it I like it what Rafiki said to Simba you don't know who you are I love it I love it um, he said is it time he said you say it's not time to rebuild another world in other words we always put God off <laughs> we always put God off in giving help me today we put God off in holiness. We put God off in prayer. We put God off in the word. We get we put God off in studying. So what 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 does the temple represent? Number one, the temple represents our kingly and queenly priestly role in the world. Oh, 
Y'all, I wish I, I, I ain't got enough time to talk about all this. Exodus chapter 19, verse 6 and 1 Peter 2, 9 says that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So our kingly and queenly, we have a priestly role in the world. In other words, did you know you are royalty, brothers and sisters? You're royalty. When you got saved, you were drafted into a royal priesthood. You and I are now a, a, a part of God's high society. You're, you're different now. I know you was on crack, but you're a priest now. I know that you were sleeping around, but you're a priest now. I know that you were far away from the priesthood, all, but you're a priest now. You are a part. You, are you coming in here? I know you don't know the etiquette yet. But you're at the king's table now. And because you're at the king's table now, you can't, you can't eat like you used to eat. You can't talk like you used to talk. You can't walk like you used to because you are a royal priest. You're different now, family. And so your etiquette got to change. Your swag got to change. You understand? It's different now. And so for us, so for us, your 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 role in the world is different now. That means you got to think about that primarily. Next, as a royal priest, you're listen. You're part of God's cosmic expansion of the priesthood. See, Adam and Eve were given royal responsibility: be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In other words. Have children, spread them through the globe, and have them, listen, function based on my functionality and call for them in order that my reign may be seen throughout the earth. In other words, the entire planet was supposed to be God's temple with filled with priests and priestesses all over the world representing earth as a collided tabernacle of God on earth. If Adam and Eve didn't fall, that's what it was supposed to be. But then, now in the gospel, we, we have to represent cosmic expansion in that way through disciple making. We also have to understand we're supposed to expand the image of God. Genesis 1.28, number four, to empower others to spread the image of God in the earth. That's what you're supposed to do. Now let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Do you make decisions based on these four things? Do you make your decisions based on God's cosmic expansion of his kingdom? Do you ask yourself hard questions about the decisions that you make? In other words, when you become a royal priest or priestess, your decision making can't be centered on your personal desires only. Because royalty has to make bigger decisions than what they want to do. Okay. See, I, I remember, um, I remember this woman, uh, uh, this queen, she, I, I can't remember what one of them shows my, me and my kids watching it. You know, um, they, 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 the, 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 the girl liked this guy and the guy liked the girl and, 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 she, and they, and they, they quote unquote fell in love, had all kinds of feelings for each other as we say nowadays. And she wanted to give up and put the kingdom in jeopardy by marrying someone based on her personal preferences. 
that would relieve her of being a kingdom protector and strengthener as a queen in order to follow, run with somebody in the wilderness somewhere. When you look at the reality of our, our walk with Christ as believers, many a times our personal preferences will collide with God's biblical principles and what will end up happening is we will make substandard decisions based on what only affects me versus what affects the bigger things in the world for God's glory. See, Israel forgot about this though. Israel forgot about this. And when Israel forgot about this, they began to not function as God called them to function. He said, you got paneled houses now. You know, now panel houses mean fly houses, you know, MTV crib type cribs. You understand? Flat screens coming out the granite counters. You know what I'm saying? You got, you got, you got cedar wood, uh, cedar wood uh, bed. You know what I'm saying? And you clap on, clap off, and the, and the CV come out the, the footboard. You understand what I'm saying? And, you know, I mean, that, their house was flat, paneled all up, beautiful all up. You know, hard mahogany, hardwoods, straight hardwoods, not no, you know, Lebanese wood. You know, we ain't talking about no, you know, porcelain and, 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 you know, stuff. All the little stuff we do. We talking about some nice tree wood that was hand cut. I mean, fly cribs. But see, many of us have a me purpose centered life. What do I mean by that? I think it's dangerous that many of us as pastors have reduced purpose to personal purpose. Because we don't understand that purpose has has really, I would say, a five, you know, I'm sounding real charismatic right now, a five-fold dimension. That sounds real Holy Ghost, don't it? It has a five-fold dimension. Yeah, I feel you, God. Right? But it does. It has a five-fold dimension. Personal purposes and pre- per- your personal purpose is only one level. But if you don't understand the other levels, you only stay in the personal level of purpose. Because when you are a kingdom priest or priestess, your purpose is way more expansive than what you want for you. If all you think about is what I'm, what, when my season come, I'm, my season gonna come, and I'm stepping into my season, and when I step into my season, the heavens, are, the windows of heaven gonna shine on me, and my haters gonna be out there, and they gonna be looking. See, so you like that kind of preaching, but that ain't about you. See, purpose has multiple levels. It's personal purpose. It's family purpose. When you get a family, you can't make personal purpose moves. You got to think about how my kids are going to be educated. What are they going to be being told? Like, you got to think about what is how I feel. You got to think, what is my spouse need in their life? Husbands, we got to stop just thinking about our personal purpose in our journey and start investing in our wife. See, some of us think marriage is about supporting the man's purpose. Ain't nobody going to talk. It's got real quiet on that part. But you are supposed to fulfill God's purpose together. Single people, just because you're single doesn't mean your purpose is individual. Because you're still part of families. Uh, you, may not, you may not have any kids yet, but you, you can be a pur- purposeful auntie or uncle. Anyway. Ecclesiological purpose. Oh, we don't like that. The church? My purpose is in the church too? Yeah. Y'all don't like that because sometimes church purpose comes against personal purpose. <laughs> we got community purpose. What's our, com- what's our responsibility to our neighbor? 
You see how many layers this? You can't just think about you. You can't because the, you're not built like that no more. Christ saved you to have a multifaceted view of purpose. And you have to have written down layers of what's my personal purpose? I do have one, but what's my family purpose? What's my church purpose? What's my community purpose? And what's my vocational purpose? Many of us merge personal purpose and vocational purpose and make our purpose our vocational, which is purposeless. And so we build our lives around where we work, where we're going to be at, and all of that kind of stuff. And what ends up happening is all of the rest of your life fall apart because you were supposed to be a balanced, purposeful person. You have, to, you have to think about this. And so that's why this whole idea of personal preferences can be dangerous. God said, but he said, it ain't time to build a temple. It ain't time to, 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 to press my cosmic rain. But the verse says, but it is time for you to have some paneled houses, ain't it? <laughs> it is time for you to have, you to be able to go shopping. Even though the church trying to do some ministry. Uh-oh. 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 Oh, it is time for you to, to grind for your thing when you can put your hand in the plow with other things and helping others. And sometimes in you helping others in community, church and family purpose, out of that, people will invest in your purpose. But you don't get reciprocated any type of thing because all you do is invest on you. And the Bible says what a man soweth, that will he also reap. If you don't sow help to somebody else, if you don't sow into somebody else's help, nobody will help you. The Bible says, how can God give you your own uh, Luke 16, when you haven't helped another with theirs. Some of us are frustrated that nobody is helping us. Some of us are frustrated that we don't have God's support. And the reason why you don't have God's support is because you've never sown support into nobody else. Some of us are selfish. We're selfish friends. Nobody did nothing for my birthday, but you never think of nobody else on theirs. That's why you're lonely on your birthday and you post a pic. One of the birthday things and ain't nobody coming over because you ain't got no friends because you're selfish. That's where your personal preferences get you. You reap what you sow. God says, think carefully about your ways. He says this three or four times in the book. Think carefully about your ways means Give thought. Set your heart on how you're acting. And this is the reason why many of us don't have purpose is because we lack a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview is a grid that people who know Jesus Christ are to develop from the Bible on how they look at, interact with, and understand God, people, life, and decision making. That's the way it works. And so what happens? Look at verse six of chapter one. He said, you have planted, this is deep. This is deep. Even though this principle is a principle out of the law, there are applications in this for today in grace. Look at verse six. He said, you have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole. Whenever you don't prioritize God, what will end up happening is that you will experience emptiness. Let me tell you something. You can get the job you want. 
You can get the spouse you want. You can get the money you want. You can get the business you want. You can get the house you want. You can get everything that you want. But when you get it without God, you're empty. It's as if God has cut a hole in your joy. Because God never meant for you to live purpose without him. Hear me today. You were not rigged and created that way. Listen, when you get saved, your entire operation system changes. And listen, when you live central purpose to you, there's a virus scanner on your soul called the spirit that will make sure that you feel empty until you come back to him. Listen, that's, that's the way this thing works. Some of y'all are empty. Y'all get more and more. How does somebody, I, I forgot the, the woman had got the bags and stuff. How does she have all she had, had a penthouse in New York and committed suicide? How does the guy that had, I'm not beating people up, please hear me. I'm trying to be, please, please. But, but, but the guy who had, he had an amazing cooking show, going across the world, visiting all kinds of places, eating delectable delights and committed suicide. How does that happen? Godlessness, emptiness. There's only things in your life that God can fill and he doesn't fill them with you on your, uh, as your central purpose. There's only things in you. That's why God said he put eternity in our hearts. In other words, he put a sense that God exists, even in the non-Christian, to let them know that even though you don't believe in me, I exist. And they search in everything. How is it that, that, that we have the spirit of God? How is it that we have the gospel and him being in our life and we don't ma maximize and take advantage of it? See, God wants us to shift. Wants us to shift. The shift is so important. Um, it says here <laughs> in chapter two, <clears throat> interesting, verse one. It says on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Haggai, speak to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, to the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and said to the remnant, listen, this is just a few people. This is supposed to be the remnant. These are supposed to be the special people. Who was left among you who saw the house in its former glory? First off, they didn't feel like working on this because some of them saw the Salmonic temple. That was a beautiful temple family. And this little napkin of a thing that they had sitting out here in Jerusalem didn't look nothing like it. Their preference was that the temple would look a certain way, but they didn't know how God worked. And so the young people, if you go over to Ezra chapter 3, around the 14th to 16th verse, you'll see that the younger people were excited. The older people wept. The older people wept. The Bible says the weeping and the shouting was so loud that you could hear it for miles. And the older people, uh, the younger people were excited because they had never seen a temple where God would dwell anymore and before. And so they were absolutely happy. They were products of captivity. But there were people that were there that were old enough to be able to remember the Solomonic temple. And when the Solomonic temple or Solomon's temple was built, the day 
day that they dedicated and Solomon prayed, the Spirit of God hovered over that mug and the Shekinah presence of God came over the inner court, the outer court, uh, the, the, the holiest of holies, and they began to worship because it says the glory of God was so thick that the priest couldn't minister. They had gold pomegranates hanging up. They had cedar wood that was outlaid in gold and it was a beautiful, beautiful decorated place. And so when they saw this temple, they could not see God using this temple because of their personal preferences of how they want God to move. They think God moves based on his pre preferences, not his purposes. Listen, never sleep on what God raises up in your life to be a mechanism. Because sometimes the small, don't despise the season on the small thing. Some of y'all want to get to the big thing, but God wants to see how you work with the small thing. <sighs> So I know you want this big idea, but some, the best things in your life aren't the things that God drops in your lap already done. The best things in your life are those things that you have to suffer in pain with and watch God grow it even when you're tired, emotionally broken, don't even feel like typing. See, I'm talking because I've been through, I don't know about y'all. I've been through some times where I know God had purpose on my life, but I started to doubt because of the way things looked. Because many times your eyes have personal preferences, but God said, listen, as hard as it is, as painful as it is, as dim as it looks, listen, I'm right there with you working at this as if it's the big thing because the little thing to me is actually the big thing. <laughs> yeah. And God wants you to change the way you look at things. You got to stop saying, only thinking the bright thing is the thing you're called to. Some, are called, some of you are called to famine areas to cause bright transformation. <laughs> See, many of us, all, uh, we want to move into an already done house, but God may have called you to do a creative rehab. That's what your life is like. And it'll be a little more sweat, but when you look around, you'll, be, you'll see God's customs. You'll be like, man, that piece came from a season of my life, and that, that log is put there as a remembrance when I couldn't afford the roof, and it was raining, but this one log right here remained fine and in proper condition. So I put this log in my floor to just remember that even when it's raining and things are falling apart, there's some stuff that God still keeps together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'll do it. He'll do it. I got to get to my last point. I'm done. I got to get to my last point. I'm done. Last thing. When you do things God's way, you can expect a supernatural breakthrough. <laughs> See, if I was at the Pentecostal church, everybody would have broke apart, fell out, and just fell in the floor making snow angels in the carpet. You hear me? Listen, when you do things God's way, you can expect supernatural. So God start talking crazy to his people. See, you got a big God, y'all. So sometimes he got to talk himself up in your life so that you can remember how big he is. Because pain makes you forget how good and big God is. And you have to be careful of letting your pain define your God. Get out of my face. Hallelujah. It says in verse four, he said, be strong, even though you don't like the way I'm doing things. That's why it says even so. I like that. That's even so. Even though you're not feeling what I'm doing, be strong. 
<laughs> he, said, he said, be strong. He said, all of you people and work. He said, this is the season for work. And what he begins doing is as he begins saying work, he says in verse, the middle of verse for the latter part, he said, this declaration of the Lord, he said, for I am with you. He's telling them that when you prioritize, listen, oh, I wish I could tell y'all everything. I got to wait. But when you prioritize God above your personal preferences, he will meet you in his purpose. He, um, listen to me. Listen to me. Wait on him. See, the old church knew how to wait on the Lord. See, we, we're, we're the instant society. We got instant ship. We got overnight sh uh, shipping. We got, we got cell phones that we can call somebody immediately. We got, we got bing, bing, bing. We can find our phone with our wife. We got all types of instant things, which is good, but technology has trained us to be impatient. That's right. And you, you don't remember when you had to wait on a phone call because there was no such thing as a, as, a, as, a, as a voicemail. And then you couldn't just go to the voicemail. You had to wait to all the voicemails play to get to the one that you want to get to. You, you see, we don't know nothing about that. You understand? When you had to rewind tapes, you don't know nothing about rewinding tapes. Like now we just go to the one and we find the song and go to it. You had to rewind the A-track all the way back. And oh, no, that's not it. And you got to go like this and do all that. You don't know no. That take patience. Listen, you, you couldn't go to the record store and buy it, so you had to wait till they played it on the radio and you push record. You don't know nothing about recording stuff on a boom box. Stop talking, it's gonna go on the microphone. See, we don't know patience no more. Everything's so quick, everything's so now, everything is so, I gotta have it now, it's about me. No, God wants to work, wants you to work. He says, I want you to work. I want you to work. Then God starts talking that fly God talk, that deity talk, you understand? He starts doing that old, that old God God talk where he begins he said, work. He said, I'm with you. Declares the Lord. He said, this is the promise I made you when, I, when you came out of Egypt, when you came out of your mess. My spirit is present among you, my people. He says, listen, I know you don't see the resources for what I've called you to do right now. Listen, listen to this. Listen to me. Hear me today. I know the resources aren't there, but you need to make decisions based on my purpose and I'll provide the resources. Look what he says in verse seven. He said, I will shake all the nations. Now, in reading this, you're thinking that God's gonna shake people. But we live in what's called a cosmic geography. Y'all ain't hearing me. Every nation has a demonic force over it. So it's not God shaking banks. God, when he shakes things up, yes. he shakes everything up. Yes. And when God shakes it, it's, there's some stuff that God has promised you. That it's not the paperwork that's the problem. When you're walking in God's purpose, the enemy will fight you differently. See, if you're doing stuff for you, he don't care about that. When you start thinking like God stuff, God's glory, the expansion of his kingdom, you enter a different fight. Yeah. 
because now the enemy knows that there's territory and places and things that he wants to have reign over and that he's had a stronghold in but when the people of God begin to get some purpose in their life that's bigger than personal preferences guess what God says you say God why isn't it working I tried to get the loan it won't work he says listen to me this is what I will do I will shake the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come and I will fill this house with glory. In other words, your word, don't worry about the natural no's when you got a heavenly yes. <laughs> Listen, God has a way, God always does things in a way that you know it was him. He don't ever do anything where you get to stand up and now introducing what, what John Doe did for the, for the kingdom. And he stand up and you're going like this. Come on, get, you know. You no, know, no, nah, no. Nah, nah. God will strike you dead. Amen. You get some sickness and be walking around here looking crazy because you took God's glory. God sets things up to be hard. He allows things to be hard so that your shout can be different when he does it. <laughs> oh Lord help me he said that's what he does it says the final glory of this house will be greater than the former oh, 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 oh. now why is it greater how can something less that's dilapidated that's not as big and not as beautiful have more glory than something that costs more to build it's not what God does to it, it's what God does through it. Y'all ain't gonna let me preach today. Listen, God, listen, God uses inconspicuous things to do insurmountable things. That's, that's just the way God works, I'm telling y'all. God got mad sauce when he do what he do. Listen, he wants to do that in your life. But see here, the glory didn't come. In Ezekiel, the glory actually left. Ichabod happened and they went on about their personal preferences. They didn't heed the prophecy. But God had an unconditional promise. He told a woman when she made the greatest mistake of her life, he gave her hope. He said, he would bruise his head, but he would bruise his heel. And she didn't know what God was talking about. He told another man a few chapters later, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. He told David that I will provide you with an eternal throne, an eternal house an eternal kingdom and there will be one son of David that will sit on that throne forever and all of a sudden 400 years after this failure a poor young woman and a stepfather have a little boy little brown skinned boy holding their pinkies and he enters the temple 
for the first time. And they offer a poor man's sacrifice. And a prophetess said, there he is. I've been waiting for the kingdom all my life. I'm finna die. But then she laid hands on and began to praise the Lord because the glory had finally returned. <laughs> the glory came back and when the glory came back, no one knew it because sometimes God's glory is quiet and powerful and stealthy, not loud. And this child became the prototype. He says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll rebuild it again. Why did he call his body a temple? Because the first temple was Eden. The second temples were altars. The third temple was the tent of meeting. The next one was the Solomonic temple. The next one was the second temple temple. The next temple is Jesus. And the temple of Jesus is the body of Christ. Y'all not hearing me. And when Jesus returns, the temple will be the universe. Because my Bible says in Revelation 21 that the tabernacle of God is among men. And guess what? What God wanted in the beginning for heaven and earth to be merged, a spiritual and natural world, will happen with a new heavens and new earth. <laughs> God wants in our lives, he wants absolute, absolute unadulterated commitment. There was a guy, there was a guy standing by a grave. It was an unmarked grave and he was weeping profusely. And a high school friend happened to be finishing up a funeral, another funeral, and he passed by his friend and jumped out of his car. He saw him weeping profusely. He got on and said, man, I didn't know that you went through loss. He said, <laughs> he said, uh, he said, I didn't know you went through any losses. I mean, he said, who did you lose, your mom? He said, no. My dad, no. Your dad, your siblings, no. Your grandparents, friends. He said, girlfriend, no. He said, also, nobody else is here with you. Why are you at this grave weeping? He said, because this was a funeral I need to have by myself. He said, huh? He said, I'm having a funeral for my fantasies. He said, I'm having a funeral for fantasy friendships. I'm having a funeral for the job that was my personal preference. I'm having a funeral for the relationships that I thought were gonna work out. I'm having a funeral for all of my personal preferences because all of my personal preferences were buried with Jesus. How do I know? Because Jesus had a fantasy before he went to the cross. He said, let this cup pass. He said, but not my will but thy will be done. You want to know how your preferences change in prayer because prayer isn't your dictation of your will to God. It's, it's, it's God aligning you with his will. And Jesus wants to build a better reality. And so somebody said, so what about my personal preferences? I'm done. What about my, you're still talking about your personal preferences. Listen what, listen what Peter said when he asked about personal preferences. I'm done. In Luke, I believe it's the 18th chapter says, you're 18, 20 through 30, 28 through 30. Peter said, look here. He said, look, <laughs> and this sound like me. This would have been me. Lord, we have left everything to follow you. See, you don't, you, don't, you don't know what dying to self is until you leave a bunch of stuff and feel it. 
He said, we left everything and Jesus goes to the heart of the matter. He said, let me tell you something, Eric Mason translation. There is no one of you who has left a house, a wife, brothers or sisters, parents or children because of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as more at this time and eternal life in the age to come. One of the greatest signs of maturity is when your personal preferences are married to God's personal preferences. Somebody said, well, the Bible says, if I delight myself in the Lord, he'll give me the desires of my heart. Asking it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaking together, running over, right? But listen, when you seek him, what ends up happening is as you spend time with him, your desires change. And what you begin to do is you begin to pray back to God what he was already going to do and he unlocks it. And some of your preferences aren't bad. But God says, if I give you what you wanted now, you'll forget about me. So I love you enough to make sure that you have me before you have what you want. I'm done. Lord Most High. Lord Most High. Um, you are our God who literally created the world for us to enjoy it. You, I mean, that's one of the major reasons you created the world. So we can enjoy the world. Um... <laughs> But we weren't supposed to ever enjoy the world without you. It's you who make the world enjoyable and a blessed experience. Maybe you're here today and you've been enjoying the world without God. God doesn't want to change your enjoyment of the world. He wants to join you in it. He wants, you, he wants to define for you enjoyment if you're here today and you want to put your confidence in Christ so that you can be reconnected to the one who reordered and will reorder the universe if that's you and you want to say yes to Jesus and here you can put your hand up on there in the feed there's going to be our search team will put a email in there and say I want to know more about Jesus and him restoring life for me and we'll be sure to get back to you for the believer I pray that you can and you will commit your life to Christ in how you recenter your life on Jesus Christ let's prepare our hearts and minds for communion communion is a again cosmic time where there is a way even though he's not physically here in the physical sense but there is a way during communion based on 1 Corinthians 11 where we have and experience a temple moment. That's why some fall asleep, if you will, or pass away if they take this unrightly or in a non-worthy manner. Taking it in a worthy manner means understanding and valuing its purpose. And that's to center us back on Christ and our purpose in Him and our purpose in His community.
On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Let us eat together. After the Passover meal and the bitter herbs, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, the blood of a new and everlasting covenant, which was shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. Let's drink together. Don't forget, um, Tuesday, this Tuesday, um, it'll be like 7, 7.30, but you'll get an email reminding you, you got some big news about the new building that we want to talk to you about. You don't want to miss it. Receive the Lord's benediction. Lord, we honor you that you've made us with significance, dignity, and identity. You gave us dignity. You gave us value. You gave us significance. You gave us purpose. You gave us identity. You told us who we are. And so God, help us to find that in Christ, in Christ alone, now unto him who was able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all you ask or think according to the power that is at work within you. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. God bless y'all. Take care. Much love to the family of God. See y'all Tuesday. Lord say the same. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you.